Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie East, and this is the Sunday Seven. In today's episode, we catch up with the man who had lost his memory until he heard a Waterboy song, we find out about the latest developments in robotics, and we discover that recycled plastic can make vanilla flavouring? Blimey. And in This Week in 1963, Russian cosmonaut Valentina Tereshkova became the first woman in space. She spent 71 hours in orbit, circling the Earth 48 times. It was her only visit to space and she was awarded the Order of Lenin and made a hero of the Soviet Union for her bravery. But it wasn't until this day in 1983 that Sally Ride became the first US woman in space, 20 years after the Russians. Now NASA has announced it plans to land a woman on the moon as part of its new Artemis program. Come on, Russia! The search for a cure for cancer has been a long one, but now a new breakthrough may be on the horizon. My name is Marvin Dre and I'm Professor of Translational Chemistry and Biomedical Imaging at the University of Edinburgh. The new strategy takes a lesson from ancient history, when the Greeks besieged Troy and deployed an attractive but very hollow horse sculpture to gain entry to the city. In this case, it's a chemical compound that cancer cells eat, which contains a small but lethal killer. So the main aim of this study was to develop a technology that would allow us to kill damaging cells and not healthy cells. By using a type of drug that we call photosensitizers, we named these drugs as Trojan horses because they are very similar to the food that the damaging cells eat, and therefore cancer cells or bacteria would eat these drugs, then we can shine light on those cells and then they would die. The concept means that there could be a less damaging treatment than chemotherapy or radiation, but Professor Mark says it's still early days. This is a very exciting time because the technology is very promising. This is something that uh, hopefully will be um, happening in the clinic in, in the coming years, although we are not there yet. It's probably the world's favourite flavour. Simple, classic, goes with more or less anything. It's vanilla. And as a result, it's in very high demand. In fact, in 2018, we used 37,000 tonnes of the stuff. Dr Joanne Sadler from the University of Edinburgh may just have a solution. The demand for vanilla is absolutely vast and it's just far, far greater than can be met through extracting it from the vanilla pods. It's very expensive collecting it from the pods. It's a very uh, volatile market, if you like. So the harvests and there's a lot of political problems surrounding vanilla plantations, mostly in Madagascar, but also other parts of the world as well. So 
to meet the huge demand, which is, you know, 7,000 tonnes a year. We just need to get it from other sources more reliably, and the synthetic methods are just a much more reliable, robust way to do this. The process combines recycled plastic and the normally dangerous E. coli bacteria to create vanillin. What we have developed is a way to take, you know, a plastic bottle that you might have bought a drink or whatever in, and, and turn that into a chemical which is, is really valuable in its own right and is otherwise actually produced often from petrochemicals directly or extracted um, from vanilla plants through extremely lengthy and expensive processes. We're both tackling the plastic waste crisis and finding another way to make this really valuable chemical. So have they managed to solve two problems at once? Delicious vanilla and less wasted plastic? Maybe, but it still needs to go through that blooming regulatory approval. So one of the main applications, about 60% of vanillin is used in flavourings and in the food industry, but there's a whole other 40%. And a lot of this goes into cosmetics, so it's often found in perfumes and skincare products. But it's also got some more unusual applications because it has actually got antimicrobial and antifungal properties. So for this reason, it is often used in food additives as a preservative. So it has a lot of hidden applications as well as, as those more obvious ones in the food industry. We'll hear later in this episode about the UK Festival of Robotics that takes place this week. But for now, we're off to the United States to hear how AI is helping to make robots seem more friendly. Hi, my name is Zanwar Faraj and I was a researcher at the Columbia University Creative Machines Lab. Scientists at Columbia University have been working for five years on a robot called Eva, which is intended to have a friendly and realistic face rather than something with plastic features and googly eyes. As interactions between humans and robots become increasingly common, there will be an increased desire to make these interactions as natural and pleasant as possible. Robots capable of making and understanding facial expressions can more effectively connect emotionally with humans, especially when language barriers make spoken and written language ineffective. The team built Eva with six basic emotions and then used AI to teach her how to use facial expressions by filming her and making her watch it back, helping her to develop a self-image. Eva can be manufactured for around $900 and appears to be the only facially expressive robot that is open source. I'm not worried about robots taking over the world, but if they do, at least we'll be able to smile at each other. You probably don't think about this too often, but how much data do you think you're using? I mean, like, you know, photos, emails, in the cloud. There are something like 10 trillion gigabytes of digital data in the world, and we add a further 2.5 million gigabytes every single day. So the question is, how on earth do we store it all? I'm James Fanel. I'm a postdoc and professor Mark Bathas lab in the Department of Biological Engineering at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. The answer's not all what you might be thinking. MIT's biological engineers have been working on encoding data into DNA, which can store masses of data at very high density. Essentially, a coffee cup full of DNA could hold all of the existing data in the world. How does DNA data storage work? It's definitely not like the matrix. Bits of data are stored and represented as letters that compose the DNA. Through these letters, you can actually get a, quite a large gain in storage density. Besides density, I think what's really cool about DNA as a storage medium 
for data is that you can create billions to trillions of copies of data very easily without requiring significant energy. In fact, your body does this so well with DNA replication. Now the tricky part will be navigating through all that data to find your old wedding photos or that instruction manual. Oh, and of course, synthesizing DNA like that is currently ridiculously expensive. Will we be carrying photos and music in our body? That's not really a far-off idea, to be honest. So maybe in the, not the far-off future, you'll have your data in your gut, or hopefully not in your gut, but maybe a patch. And that patch can contain data equivalent to 1,001 terabyte hard drives. And because it's not connected to the internet, you're rest assured that your data can be hijacked. Your data is with you uh, wherever you go. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ask yourself this. If you had a robot, what would you want it to do? Quiet at the back. 52% of Brits say they'd like a robot to handle household cleaning, with gardening and DIY pretty high up on the list too. Weirdly, 5% of people would be happy to let a robot dress them. Hmm. My name is Robert Richardson. I'm Professor of Robotics, University of Leeds, and also the chair of the UK RAS Network. The survey was carried out to mark the UK Festival of Robotics, which is on all this week, and it shows that people are becoming much more used to the idea of robots. Every day, more and more, there are robot cleaners going around shopping centres, there are robot vacuum cleaners in our houses, um, there are medical procedures we do where we go into hospital and we have robots doing surgery on us. Um, at some point in the future, you'll go to hospital for some surgery and you'll be saying, oh, I want the robot, I need the robot. I think, I think now really is the time. I think we're going to see many, many more robots over the next sort of 10 years um, in our lives. And those scary Boston Dynamic robot dogs, are they a real thing? Will I replace my lovely Ned Bark with a robot? What we will see is robots that are more adaptable, uh, that can do more tasks. And that's what we, what we need for ourselves, really, that, that they can do, like we can. They, can. they can help out in many different areas of the home, for example, or the workplace, or other areas. So adaptability is going to be one of the big things um, going forwards. The UK Festival of Robotics is online all week with events and demonstrations. Give it a search. Mark Parry from the Ocean Conservation Trust was diving off the coast of Plymouth when he came across a very rare sight. I was slightly stunned, slightly taken back. In seven years and probably several hundred seagrass survey dives, I've never seen one of these animals. He was fortunate enough to see and be able to record footage of a long-snouted seahorse. They're native to the Eastern Atlantic Ocean, but are officially on the endangered list. It's very sunny on the surface, it was calm. We were in quite shallow water and we're floating amongst the leaves of the seagrass plants. It checks us out, it sort of clocks us and, and knows that we're there and then sort of swims gently away to 
to the next tuft of grass as we, we carefully approach the animal because there are protocols that we need to follow. To my surprise, it was uh, a really, really rare long-snouted seahorse. Divers do report seeing them occasionally, but it's rare that they're carrying any type of sort of recording or photographic equipment with them. Mark was particularly pleased because his work with the Oceans Conservation Trust focuses on replanting and conserving seagrass as a habitat for ocean creatures. I think the biggest problem is because people aren't aware of its significance, they aren't aware of its uh, location, and they're not aware that even small impacts in our day-to-day -day lives uh, can, can impact that really fragile coastal habitat. And without caring for the habitat, um, then we're neglecting the care for our, um, our very rare marine species. One of my favourite ever Pixar movies is Ratatouille. I just love that film. And one scene in particular that's very relevant to our next story is the scene where the food critic Anton Ego sits down at the table and is presented with a bowl of ratatouille. And he puts a forkful of it in his mouth and immediately is sucked back into his childhood and a lot of happy suppressed memories come flooding back to him immediately. Well, whilst our next guest isn't sat in a restaurant being served food by a rat, he has got a similar story. Meet Thomas Leeds. For the few people that have been living under a rock all week, <laughs> tell us in a brief nutshell what happened to you. So, I, yeah, I was 19, I was crossing a road and unfortunately got hit by a car. Landed on my head, unfortunately fractured my skull and my back in a few places and um, had this bleed in my head, which they eventually operated on and removed that, thankfully. But um, so I almost died. <laughs> and then when you woke up, you know, not only could you not remember the accident, but, you know, you couldn't remember stuff that, that was, I would imagine, pretty pretty dear to you. Yeah, it was a weird thing because there's this kind of thing that's quite common that quite often with these sort of injuries, you have this chemical imbalance where you it puts you in this strange sort of serene state where you're not actually panicked about things. It doesn't always happen, but that's definitely what happened to me. You knew that you had a mum or a dad, or a brother or a sister, right? You knew that those roles existed in your life, did you? Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing, because I think I did sort of remember things that aren't necessarily what I now know to be called episodic memories, which is when you are literally remembering things happening. But there's a lot more to your memory than that. So, you know, you're, you're remembering, like you say, kind of like core things, um, you know, like what is a mum, that kind of thing. So I kind of had those sort of vague ideas, but it was just... Very confusing. And the other thing was they didn't realize that I had face blindness as well as a result, which was like a very specific thing. So even once I knew, oh, OK, that's my mom or whatever, like I wouldn't recognize her again. So, wow. so, um, so yeah, it was uh, it was quite a, a journey kind of figuring out all of this. As tragic and as distressing as it is, that's it's, it's not unusual for, for that to happen to someone. But I guess what makes your story quite unique is that then mm. compiling a playlist for your 30th birthday party you quite mm. rightly included uh the water boys hole of the moon because it is a stone cold <laughs> four to the floor banger it is good. i get goosebumps when i hear that track but take me through what those goosebumps meant meant to you because i was desperate to get some memories back the years sort of following the accident so i sort of listened to you know classic his radio or whatever and I heard that track suddenly come on and it was late and so I was really concentrating because it was on my earphones 
soon as I heard those opening sort of bars and, and it just was almost like I was, te- you know, I just saw this floor and this radio and, and then this man holding my hand. And it was just, it was the most bizarre thing. And to the, it was kind of like, because I'd got used to, because it had been many years, I'd kind of got used to not having anything. And also I got a bit annoyed with my, <laughs> with people constantly going, oh, it's just like this movie. It's just like that movie. And when you'll just hear a song and it'll all come flooding back. And I was like, yeah, that's not a thing. So, <laughs> so then I had to eat my words. Has that then led on to more or has it been a one-stop shop? Um, one that I can think of where I randomly stumbled across this thing called The Snowman, which is like an old British um, like Christmas TV thing for kids. Tom, and it Tom, was, you, I, you're, yeah. you, you're not the one that has to explain The Snowman to the rest <laughs> okay, of the world. Yeah. Yeah, everyone else is like, <laughs> yes, we know, okay. My brothers and my friends and stuff were laughing so much the first time I saw Star Wars. <laughs> like, Did you have the twist of Empire Strikes Back all over again? That yes. Is, oh my yeah. God, that is amazing. 100%. They managed to protect me from it. Talk to me about the water wars. Have they been in touch? Has he, has he acknowledged that this story exists? Yeah, it was so surreal because he tweeted or commented under, I guess, the article or whatever on Twitter. Um, and he just said something like, please to be a servant. That's very cool. It's very cool. And just like, it's kind of weird because to me, because of this song and what it means to me, that's more surreal than perhaps, you know, other people in music who would be equally starstruck, but it's just so surreal to me you know, because of what it means to me. And then also my wife then said, oh my God, have you seen the the comments on YouTube? Because under their official video for that song, there are now loads of comments saying Thomas Lee's article brought me. (laughs) So it's really weird. It's so, so weird. You know, you know what we can be grateful for is that it's actually a great song. Imagine if it was the Cheeky Girls. (laughs) Do you know who the Cheeky Girls are? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I've heard of them now. To be honest, I haven't given that much thought. Yeah, very good point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for more on Thomas's great story, the book he's writing and all the fantastic fundraising he's doing for Headway, go and visit his Twitter page at Thomas Leeds. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.